Hey everyone, my name is Jason Parker, and I want to welcome you to the Coastal Church Podcast. I'm super excited for you to hear this message. We believe that God wants to speak to us, and we hope that you're open to hear what He has to say to you today. Enjoy. Well, tonight we land the plane on our sermon series on money, and everyone was like, praise God. <laughs> Whew, glad that one's over. No, all jokes aside, we land our little uh, mini-series on money here tonight, and you know, it's interesting because like in church, uh, we want to be the kind of church where we can talk about any subject at any time, openly and respectfully, and one of the reasons why we want to be able to talk about any topic is partly because the scriptures speak to so many different things in our lives. Um, it speaks to so many different topics, and money includes one of them. Uh, the scripture te- speaks to topics about sexuality and all kinds of things that we find in the scriptures. It speaks to those issues. And one of the things that I love as I interact with people that um, maybe start coming to Coastal, they've been to Coastal for a while, maybe they weren't the churchy type or the not going to church kind of person. But one of the things I, I just appreciate so much when people um, make this connection is um, oftentimes when, when someone, you know, becomes a Christian here, I'll, I'll kind of interact with them. And the things that they'll say about their experience, and we're not perfect church, but they'll say, you know, I feel like I can dress how I want to. Um, I feel like I kind of like your music. And the third thing that they often say, and it's crazy how many people have said this, like, like, I feel like, I feel like you guys, when you talk, you give your talks, they feel like, I feel like you talk in a way that I understand or in a way that most importantly connects to my everyday life. And that's not like way to go preacher Jay, that's to illustrate something here. This is to illustrate the fact that like it boggles my mind how we can get it so wrong. Like it boggles my mind if I look at the life of Jesus and I look at how much Jesus' life was spent on connecting spiritual realities in a way that people could understand. Like, he used parables. He told stories. He had yarns in the Bible that connected to everyday life. And that's what I love about the scripture, is the scripture has this ability for each and every one of us in this room to connect to our everyday life. Because God cares about your everyday life. And this whole idea of learning to be a kingdom citizen, embracing life with Jesus, is all about what does it look like for me to be a follower of Jesus in 2023 in Southwest Nova here in this context? What does that kind of look like? You know, and there's lots of different factors that lead us into actually being able to do that. Maybe it sounds like too idealistic for you, like how on earth can I follow Jesus in 2023? But there's ways in which we actually receive this beautiful thing called grace from God that enables us to actually live out the call in life God's called us to live out. You know, I said earlier about God giving us today our daily bread. Jesus commanded his disciples to pray that prayer every single day. And the truth of the matter is, you and I need grace from God to live out every single day. Put another way, God has goods and resources from heaven that we have access to every single day that he wants to provide to us to give us what we need to live out our lives. Does that make sense? And there's ways in which we can put ourselves in a position 
to receive that grace from God, to receive those goods from God, those resources, to actually live out our lives for Jesus. I'm, uh, I'm really excited this January. One of the things that we are doing as a network is we have like this thing called a local church leadership program where different leaders from YWC, Yarmouth Wesleyan Church, and South Church and Coastal um, are kind of doing this course to kind of develop as leaders, and we are just taking some time to invest in them as leaders, and we believe in them. And I'm really excited to be teaching this course on Monday nights at Yarmouth Wesleyan to kind of invest in uh, some people in our church that we believe in. And I, the course is called Spiritual Formation. And you all might be thinking, what on earth is that? Well, it's a process of God transforming us, making us more and more like Jesus. And one of the things that I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about in this spiritual formation class is this thing called spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines are these things that we practice and do that put us in a position to receive grace from God. Or put another way, they're things that you do to put your heart and your head and your whole being in a position so you can receive the goods and resources from heaven to live out your day-to-day -day life. Does that make sense? So it's things that we do, practices that we do. Like, for instance, like, and in particular, spiritual disciplines help counteract some things in our lives that are unhelpful spiritually. For instance, one of the spiritual disciplines is silence and solitude. And so silence and solitude help us to slow down. How many of y'all know we need to slow down every once in a while? Sometimes more than others, right? Especially after Black Friday. <laughs> silence and solitude help us slow down and counteract unspiritual busyness that comes into our lives. And it stops and opens ourselves to, okay, just chill, Jay. Calm down and let the Holy Spirit begin to fill you and speak to you. That's what silence is. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That's what silence and solitude does. That's a spiritual discipline. It's a means by which God puts his grace in your life. The other, another spiritual discipline is Bible reading. And Bible reading helps counteract the stories that the world tells you and you tell yourself about yourself and actually tells you what God says about you. It counteracts and actually fills you with God's story about you. Fasting is another spiritual discipline. One of our favorites, right? It helps counteract us constantly consuming and puts us in a position to deny ourselves and be more dependent on God for our needs. And so in the scripture, and if you ever want to have a conversation about, you know, things you can do to put yourself in a position to grow spiritually or to get grounded or to get closer to Jesus, I will book as many appointments as I have to because I love having these kinds of conversations. Why? Because I want you to grow spiritually. I want you to get closer to Jesus. I want you to get deep. I want to see you having your spiritual needs met. Like, literally, that's my passion and desire for you. And you know, there's a uh, spiritual discipline that actually counteracts our struggle with money. You know what that spiritual discipline is? It's generosity. It's giving. Generosity counteracts the spiritual hold the love of money has on us by taking that very thing that has a hold on us and using it to honor and worship God. We're going to look at an example of generosity that Jesus talked about in Mark chapter 12, verse 41 to 44. 
Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. This is what the scripture says. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And so, there's four things I want to say tonight about generosity, as it relates to the spiritual discipline of generosity. The first one is this. Generous giving isn't about need, it's about obedience. Now, there are times when God's Spirit prompts you to give out of need, like in the book of Acts, the Bible says that everyone gave as people had need, and people were selling their houses and their possessions to bless the church. However, in this particular passage, the giving wasn't about the need. You know, we have this huge temple that was in Jerusalem, and there's nowhere in this passage of Scripture where this pe- the people were giving because of what the temple needed. You know, her generosity wasn't based on this reality that maybe the temple needed a new roof, or maybe it needed a new entrance, or maybe it needed a new sound system, although there wasn't sound systems 2,000 years ago. <laughs> you know, it does, it's not, she didn't give based on whether the temple was down to its last few pennies or whether it had whatever. It wasn't based on any of that. Her generosity wasn't about their need. It was about her being obedient. And she was being faithful and generous. And we want to, when we give, we want to be both those two things. We want to be faithful and generous. Faithful is giving consistently. And generous is giving abundantly. And so obedience by the Holy Spirit calls us to give both generously and consistently. Both generous and consistent. Does that make sense? And it's a spiritual discipline that we practice. It's this idea of something that we do that is spiritual because it puts us in a position to receive grace from God and deals with our heart. And it's a discipline because it's not something we all feel like doing from time to time. It's like exercise, first thing in the morning. It's like, how many of y'all feel like exercising first thing in the morning? One person. All right, when we grow up, we want to be like you. It's like, The discipline part is like the consistent repetition of doing things at times when we don't feel like doing things. Like, for instance, going back to the whole spiritual discipline conversation, how many of us in this room always feel like reading our Bible every single day? Okay, we got got more for that, five. Okay, that's good. The rest of us, we're all on a journey together. Lord help us, right? How many of us always feel like praying every single day? Okay, we got a little bit more for that. All right, okay. All right. How many of y'all feel like fasting every day? I <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> right? It's a spiritual discipline. It's this thing that we just do regularly that puts us in a position to receive grace from God. And we put ourselves in that position and we receive to kind of help us grow and to help solve this love of money issue that we all have. That's, what, that's the grace we receive from God. When you give 
faithfully and generously, consistently and abundantly, it frees you from the hold that the love of money has on your life. Does that make sense? Because you're attacking the very thing that is attacking your spiritual life, the love of money. You're saying, nope, I'm just going to bless and give. I'm going to not be focused on myself, Lord, and by your grace, I'm actually going to bless and give and serve. And I'm going to give the very thing that is trying to take hold of my life. Do you see it there? Where the rubber meets the road, the tension that we have? And the beautiful part about spiritual disciplines is it doesn't just benefit you, it benefits other people. How many of you know when you read your Bible, it helps people in your house? Okay, you don't believe me, okay? You're, you're silent, you're like, what, really? Let me unpack this a little bit. What if you didn't read your Bible an entire year? Just didn't read it at all, whatsoever. How different would you be? Well, I know what I'd be like. I wouldn't be fit to be seen, I'll tell you that right now. Because my heart, like not having the word of God in my life every single day, I'd be so out of order. I'd be a bad dad, a bad husband, a bad pastor, all the things. I know you expect me to read the Bible. It's like part of what I do, but it's deeper than that. Like these spiritual disciplines are the source of life for us. And if we don't practice reading them, we don't have the goods and resources to be the people that God's called us to be. Does that make sense? Imagine for a second, we didn't pray at all. Like, what kind of state would we be in if we didn't pray? Like, see, but when we do pray, how different, how much does it impact the people around us when we have consistent rhythms of praying? Here's what I want to say. When you read your Bible and you pray consistently as a spiritual discipline, you have rhythms of praying and reading your scripture and practicing silence and solitude and worshiping God and consistently coming to church on Sunday nights and getting into the presence of God. I want to tell you something. When you put yourself in a position to receive grace and power and all the goods that come from God, you are different people to your circle of influence and everyone else that's around you. You are such a blessing to the people that are around you because you're allowing God to fill your cup and then you're pouring out in everyday interactions with other people. Does that make sense? You're still not convinced. When you pray and you draw near to the presence of God and you start interacting with the Holy Spirit, it's like you taking the lid off this mason jar and you open it to the Spirit of God. And you're saying, God, come and fill me up. And guess what God does? He fills you up. And why does God fill you up? Because he wants to pour you out. See, these spiritual disciplines that we practice are so much more than you. I mean, God fills you with his love because he loves you. But ultimately, he is filling you up to pour you out to your spouse, to your kids, to your workplace, to every single person you come in contact with. He's filling you with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He's filling you with all that stuff. Why? So you can be a blessing to every single person you come in contact with. And the way in which we get filled is by putting ourselves in positions to open to receive, by praying and reading our Bible, and yes, giving. Because giving empties the cup of the love of money 
and fills our hearts with generosity. And so generosity doesn't help us receive from God, but maybe this is an easier one because it's more tactile. When you're generous, it actually blesses someone else too. It's a win-win. It's, a it's, I get to receive grace from God for being a blessing, and I get to bless someone else. Let me ask you a question. How does it make you feel when you're generous to someone else? Grace. The joy of blessing someone else with generosity. You bless them, and God gives you joy. He gives you his spirit. He gives you his resource. Do you see it now? Are we getting there? Y'all are quiet tonight. <laughs> All right, let's keep going. Generous giving isn't about the amount. So let's jump back into the story, because this is a fascinating story. Hopefully we'll have some fun with this. So the Bible says, this is crazy what Jesus did. Okay, he sat down opposite the treasury and watched people putting money into the offering box. You catch that? Do you see that in the story? Jesus sat down opposite the treasury box and watched people put their money into the offering. So Jesus sits across from where people are putting money into the offering plate or in the offering box, and he's watching. So just imagine for a second here tonight, on your way at the door, I pull up a chair right over by the offering box right there, <laughs> and I'm watching. Oh, I'm watching. That's kind of what Jesus is doing here. It's kind of creepy. But that's what Jesus was doing. He was watching what people were giving into the offering box. And the Bible says, many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny. So in the temple at the time, in, in this particular court, there were like 13 offering boxes, and they were kind of in the form of a trumpet. And so I was in this room earlier, and I was like, oh, we got sconces in here. This may be able to help people. So I want you to look around the room for a second, and there's actually 12 sconces. Two of them are both behind the curtain, so you can't see them. But I want you to imagine that they're kind of down like maybe three more feet. You know what I'm talking about, the sconces things? They're the things that have lights on them. So drop those down about two or three feet, and imagine that they're all giving boxes. So in the temple, which was much larger than this room, there were like 13 of these around the temple. And so people would come in and they'd put their coins into these boxes. It was their offering. And so um, people would notice people dropping things into these containers. And matter of fact, men and women both could hear the sound when the coins, copper, silver, gold, were being dropped into these um, trumpet-like containers. And so Jesus noticed, likely, and heard the coins of the large gifts going in. There were no, like, credit cards or debit or e-transfer or direct deposit options. It was all straight-up coinage. That was all the currency back then. It wasn't even, like, bills. It was all coins. So the rich would likely come in, and some of them would come during the festivals a couple times a year, and they would probably bring a purse, a bag, and they would bring their first fruits, their tithe. And they would bring their offering, and they'd put all the coins that were from the tithe into the offering. And it would be a huge temptation for the rich to be like, look what I got. Wait till you hear this sucker go down that trumpet thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
It would be a real temptation for them to be tempted with pride. That's why Jesus said, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, right? Give your gift in secret, the Bible says, and your Father in heaven will reward you. But as the rich put their coins in, it would have been this constant, literally, like, tink, 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 tink. Like, it would have been constantly like this. Like, however many times they had to put coins in. Constantly, constantly, constantly hearing the sound. And Jesus would have heard it. As he watched, the Bible says, he watched rich people doing this. And then the Bible says, the story kind of changes. um, And this poor widow comes up with two pieces of coin of copper that add up to one penny. Y'all remember pennies? Nothing, no more? Well, she had two coins that added up to a penny, and she put them in. I have uh, what is currently our equivalent. I have two nickels here, which adds up to 10 cents, in case you need to know. And so the rich person, uh, the widow, poor widow comes up, and it's just like, and she walks away. Just two coins that add up to a penny. Giving, generous giving, isn't about the amount. Giving 20 when you have 30 is not the same as giving 100 when you have 10,000. As we go dive into the rest of the story, this is what the Bible says. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So this isn't one of those moments in Jesus' teaching where he's like announcing in the temple, now hear this, now hear this. The scripture actually teaches us that Jesus called his disciples over. He's wanting to have like a little chat with them as he's observing this behavior going, this beautiful behavior from this poor widow. He calls them over and he's trying to teach them something about the action of this woman who gave all she had, the scripture says, all she had to live on. And part of me just wondered, like, I wonder, like, I wonder what Jesus was actually trying to teach his disciples as he was preparing them for ministry. Probably trying to teach them a lot of things. Jesus was probably trying to teach his disciples what selfless giving looks like. Jesus was probably wanting to teach his disciples what it means to give in the kingdom of God, as we see in Acts chapter 4, modeled and fleshed out from the same disciples that saw Jesus teaching about this poor widow. But I think maybe one of the most important things that Jesus, the reason why he taught his disciples this in a kind of pull-aside moment, teaching on the fly, was because these disciples needed to learn how to live by faith. And generous giving is about faith. You see, these disciples were about to be scattered and sent all over the place. And they'd have times like the Apostle Paul when they had plenty, and they'd have times when they had absolute nothing. And they had to learn to trust in God. And they lived by faith like so many of our forefathers the last 2,000 years that served Jesus and had nothing. And like, God, like, we need you to show up or we're toast. 
Generous giving is all about faith. Can you imagine just for a second, the Bible says that this woman gave all she had, all she had to live on, that's what scripture says. I don't know about you, but my mind, I have a whole lot of questions. Just imagine for a second, you're giving all you had, all you had to live on, as the scripture says. What questions come into your head? Because I know my monthly budget's going crazy right now. Like, what about my mortgage payment, right? What about groceries? What about heat and lights? What about my kid's education? What about Christmas? Lord, I was really hoping to get that Terry chocolate orange like I get every Christmas. What about them there snow tires? Y'all got them on yet or what? <laughs> you guys are really quiet. <laughs> that means most of you don't got them on yet. I mean, like, how, how could this widow give, like, literally her last bit, the last she had, like, the last she had to live on? How? Because she trusted in a God who called her in obedience to give. She trusted in a God that promised to provide for all her needs. And by the way, I just want to say this. God promises to meet every single one of your needs. That's the kind of God that he is. The kind of God that is faithful to us, even when we're unfaithful, the scripture says. And this woman also believes something that I think you and I struggle to believe, that God owns me and my finances. It's all his, and he's good, and I can trust him with my life and my money. Someone sent me this verse uh, this morning that echoes this kind of idea. This is David speaking. He says, but who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. It all comes from God, and we are stewards. Now, am I telling you all to go ahead and give every last cent to the church? No, okay. Just wanted to let you guys breathe with that one for a sec. There, there may be seasons where God, like the rich young ruler, calls you to give up everything because it's an idol in your life. But for the most part, our call with generosity is learning to follow the Spirit's promptings. It's learning to be both faithful and generous, to hold our resources open-handed to God so they don't have spiritual hold in our lives. And ultimately, we're obedient in generosity because generous giving is about worship. You know, this, this woman wasn't trying to be the object lesson for Jesus. She wasn't giving generously to be enshrined in Scripture for the last 2,000 years. She went to the temple for one reason. Because she wanted to worship her generous God who gave generously to her and gives generously to us. I want to ask you a question. When you give a gift, who are you giving it to? As I was praying, I think this is our challenge because we serve an invisible God. We tend to think when we give, we're giving to a person or an organization or a charity. But here's the thing that I was, as I was wrestling with this sermon tonight, I was like, ah, there's, there's a shift here. When you give your gift, do you realize you're actually giving that offering to God? Because I think that changes the way you actually give. 
You're not seeing it as I'm giving it to this person, I'm giving it to this organization. No, I'm actually giving an offering of worship to God, and it actually blesses his heart in worship. Do you realize that when you give generously, you're worshiping God? You're blessing his heart? You give opportunity to bring joy and pleasure to the heart of your father? Because I don't think we often think of that way, right? But we do. So giving is actually an opportunity to worship. And sometimes the Spirit prompts us to give at times, even when it hurts. We had a Bible study the other night on Thursday night, and someone brought up that idea that sometimes God calls us to give till it hurts and then give some more. And sometimes that's the case. Sometimes God prompts us to give in such a way. But is God deserving of our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving? Is he worthy of it all? And I believe that at times God does call us to do that. And so the key here is not how much you give. It's about learning to be in relationship with God and being willing to be both faithful and generous. I'll invite the worship team to come. On Thursday and again today, I, uh, I've been praying over this message. And I'll be honest, I probably prayed over this message more than I pray over most messages. Partly because it's a hard message to give to people. Even though being generous actually is a spiritual discipline and helps us to receive grace from God. But I probably prayed more about this not because it was hard, but because of the potential I believe Coastal has. Now, practically speaking, for those of us in this room, being obedient to this might mean, for some of you, it might, start, it might mean starting to give for the very first time. For some of you, it might mean God is prompting you to give till it hurts in a kind of way. Whatever the case may be, I don't need to be God in your life. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you as he would lead you to give. But as I was praying... I was just thinking about, I was praying for us as a church, and I was praying about our kingdom potential, and I was praying about how God wants to use Coastal, and here's what I believe for our future. I believe that one of the primary ways that God wants to use Coastal Church in the years to come is through kingdom generosity. I believe that's something unique to our church that God is actually calling us to. I don't know what that all looks like, I don't know how that's all fleshed out. I don't know any of that. But one thing I believe from God, and you can pray about this and see if that's from God, like I believe God has called us uniquely with kingdom generosity. I believe he wants to unlock the potential of this church as it relates to kingdom generosity. And it just got me thinking about this question. What might God do in and through Coastal if God increased our generosity? Let me ask that question again. What might God do in and through Coastal if God increased our generosity? You know, I pray and dream about our fourth and fifth campuses. What, is it, what does that look like? I pray about strengthening how we care about our staff here at Coastal about funding ministries, about having more outreach in our community. As I pray about all that stuff, 
it leads me to this question again that I want us to wonder and worship about. What might God do in and through Coastal if God increased our generosity? Would you stand with me? We really hope that this message has motivated you to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus and has inspired you to join us in our mission to take Jesus into every community of Southwest Nova. If you have any questions about the sermon, if you want to know how you can get involved, send us an email at office at coastalchurchns.com. We'd love to get connected with you. Have a great day.